Good morning, Woodland Hills. I hope you are all in the holiday spirit. Everything is going well. And you're enjoying Christmas music, eggnog, and all the rest of the nice seasonable stuff. Eric, did you put that in here? There's like a... It's, is that real? There's like a mouse in here. But, ouch! <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Initially, that was going to be a fake funeral. because It feels like we're at a funeral, doesn't it? There's a little <laughs> casket and a little animal in there. I was going to make up a story about someone. But uh, that worked better with just being a mouse, I thought. <laughs> that was a bad idea from the start. But uh, so what? I just want to wake you up. Uh, before I get started, I want to uh, say uh, this. We, every, uh, during the Christmas season, since we're celebrating the birthday of Jesus, we encourage people to celebrate it in a Jesus kind of way. And whatever else that means, uh, it means that we don't just think about ourselves and our own loved ones. We think about others. And, and so we encourage people during the Christmas time to take the, the planned budget for Christmas and uh, uh, consider and pray about having a portion of that going for other uh, causes, other people. Uh, and, and so the, for the last five years, we've, we've called it the Making Space Campaign uh, because we've, through the sacrifices of the, of the people here, have created space for, to invite other partnering ministries in uh, to the church, and then we partner with them to carry out a common objective. And we've got some beautiful ministries here. We've got you know, several homeless ministries. Uh, we've got job training for kids, uh, daycare center, uh, disabilities ministry, um, and most recently, we had um, uh, a mentoring program, an after-school mentoring program for kids. And some of you might want to consider volunteering and being a part of that. So it, it's just been beautiful. So this year, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, the thing is, is that because of all these services, we have hundreds and hundreds of people who come through this church every week. Uh, many of them, uh, both, in fact, none of them go to Wood, most don't go to Woodland Hills Church. Uh, many of them are unchurched altogether. But we want to make them feel welcome, and we want to communicate value to them and, and, and dignity. Um, and so we're calling this year's campaign the Warm Welcome Campaign. And one of the ways you, you communicate dignity and worth to people is, is something, about, something about the environment in which they're, 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 they're staying. Um, we've been in this building for 17 years, and uh, there's been a lot of wear and tear in those 17 years, as you can easily imagine, and maybe you've even noticed and when a uh, uh, mother's here with her child and the child's crawling around on the carpet, the carpet's all full of stains, it's just not communicating the worth and the value, the dignity, the respect that we want to be communicating. So we thought this year what we need to do is to uh, fix stuff here and, and mix, we need some new carpet out there, our bathrooms uh, need some repairs. We also need new signage um, for, for non-English speaking people who come into the building here and can let them know where things are. So we're calling this Warm Welcome uh, campaign, where our goal is raise, to raise $72,000 uh, to, to do that kind of repair work and the maintenance stuff and to get the new carpet and things like that. So I encourage you at the end of the service to pick up, uh, uh, go to the info, information desk, and we have these nifty flyers, and it will tell you all about this. Warm welcome. And just take it home and pray about this. Um, we even encourage parents to talk to their kids about this. Like, you know, this year we want to be thinking about others, uh, and, and we want to give some of our money, uh, not just for your toys, but to, to, for other, other people. And uh, be generating a Jesus heart in them. All right? Pick it up. So we're uh, finishing up our, our Temptation series here this morning. It's been a cool series. Uh, some cool things have happened uh, throughout this thing. And I, I want to start by talking about a passage. It's an important passage on temptation. 
Um, it's a passage that has puzzled and even aggravated some people. Uh, and it's a passage that is more often than not misunderstood. It's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Here's what it says. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. As I read that passage, uh, how many of you heard Paul saying this? That God will not allow you to be tested beyond what you are able, but will make a way for you to escape so that you can endure it. How many of you heard Paul saying that? And see, you, you, probably all heard Paul saying that. Those of you who aren't raising your hands, you're, it's because you're saying this is a trick question. Because <laughs> that's exactly what Paul said, right? Uh, it, it's, we, 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 we take that and the, the promise applies to us personally. I personally would not be tested beyond my strength. And I bet some people, as you heard this, maybe some folks from Padrishners, as you heard this, uh, it bugged you a little bit, irritated you, maybe even made you mad. Because you can think of a time, or several times perhaps, where you were tested and you weren't able to endure it. In fact, uh, you were tested in ways that, as you look back on it, it seems that there's no possible way you could have uh, withstood that temptation. And, and God knows you, right? God knows you, your individuality, and God knows your vulnerability. So God would know that you couldn't withstand the temptation if you're put in that context. And so to you, it seems like God was not faithful in honoring that promise. He didn't protect you. He didn't provide a way of escape. You're trapped. A lot of people have that question. And a lot of people have, that, have had that anger. But it's all based on the assumption that this passage is promising us individually that will never be tested beyond what we individually are able. Now, what I want to show this morning is that that actually is not what this passage means. And the fact that we instinctively interpret it that way uh, reveals something about our culture that we need to wake up to and need to live in resistance to. Because what we're going to see here this morning is that this passage actually means the opposite of this individual interpretation. It's, it's saying we need to battle together. We need to battle together. And that's the title of this message. We need to battle together. All right, uh, to, to begin to get at this aspect of our culture that we need to wake up to, I, I'm going to have us look at a picture for just a few seconds and then see what we see. So let's show this. It's a very boring picture. There it is. One, two, three. Enough. How many of you would agree that if you had one sentence to describe that, what that picture is about, uh, how many of you would say that it's, it's about fish? It's some fish in an aquarium. That describes the portrait. You say it's fish? How many, how many fish were there? Five. Good for you. Yeah. Some people in the first service were insisting that there's only three. Uh, but, you know, it's earlier in the morning, so you're tired. Uh, and and uh, did you notice that one fish has bubbles coming out of its mouth? Uh, some of you maybe saw that. Uh, there's, there's three that are kind of in the foreground, the two there in the background, and the two in the background are swimming in a different direction. Do you notice that? Uh, than the ones, it's fascinating stuff, isn't it? Well, here's the deal. Uh, some, some cognitive scientists have uh, done experiments with this, one of them being where they, they showed this picture uh, to some Americans and then showed the picture to some Japanese. Now, the Americans, all, the main thing that they reported on was the fish. Uh, that's what stood out to them. And they could give quite a few details about the fish. You know, how many there were and 
three were big and two were small and two were falling in a different direction and so on and so on. Some could even identify what kind of fish it was, which apparently is bass. Um, but they look more like perch to me, but I don't know fish, so what am I talking about? <laughs> so we, we were really good on, 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 about the fish. Now, the Japanese had a different perspective on this. They tended to report, uh, the thing that stood out was the greenness of it. The greenness of it. And, and then there's the, the, the three plants to the left and the lighter plant to the right. And they noticed the frog on the bottom. And it, it's pointing towards the, the snail. Some of them were able to note that the, the, the bottom seems to be composed of like brown shell. And they also noticed the fish, but they couldn't say, give many details about the fish. And in some cases, couldn't even tell you how many fish there were. So Americans were better at giving the detail about the fish, and the, but less about everything else, whereas the Japanese could say a lot more about everything else, but less about the fish. Isn't that cool? Now, why is that? Why is there this different perception? Same picture we're looking at, but, but what, what stands out to us is, 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 is different. Why is it? And the reason is because Americans, if you're raised in American culture, your brain's conditioned to notice what stands out and, and, to, and to focus on individual things and to focus more on detail. Uh, we, we, we notice something that's unique, the thing that most impresses us about the picture. Uh, and everything else kind of goes to the periphery of our vision, as seen as background. Whereas Japanese, what, what stands out is not so much the individual things, but the whole context of, of, of what they're looking at. Or you could say, they, they're, what catches their attention is the betweenness of things, how things are the, how, related together. And the reason why this is important is that the way we look at the world, the, way we, the things that we notice, the brains that are conditioned to, to, to grasp onto, it says a lot about the values of the culture that we're in. Uh, in, in American culture, we tend to value things that stand out, things that are unique, uh, things that are set apart. And... In fact, if uh, if an uh, American person isn't getting all their life from Christ, uh, Americans tend to see their own value and their own significance as found in their individuality, how they're different from others, the, your uniqueness, your uniqueness, uh, or things about you that that you regard as being impressive. Uh, for for Japanese, the value in their culture, and this shows you why they look at things the way they do, um, it's not what stands out in contrast to everything else. It's, it's rather the connectedness of everything else. And they tend to associate their worth and value not in how they stand out from others, but rather how they're connected with others. And so, so there's fundamentally different value systems in, in the cultures that they're a part of. Um, our individualistic culture leads us to notice the individual things. Whereas the Japanese more, and this is true for most non-Western uh, cultures, their more communal uh, worldview tends to uh, see the, the, the relationships of things. Or we can put it like this. Our individualistic culture, tends, we, we tend to define a human being as being an individual in contrast to others, whereas in more communal uh, cultures, they tend to define the individual as being in relationship with others. And we see our individualistic culture uh, reflected in a number of ways. Uh, for example, uh, Americans tend to be much more obsessed with our personal rights than other cultures, uh, where we tend to be more obsessed with our, our, our personal time and, and with our acquiring personal possessions than other cultures. And we tend to be more uh, passionate about controlling our own destiny than people in, in, in non-Western cultures, for sure. Um, we see our individual, individualistic culture reflected in the fact that we tend to get irate if there's anything that encroaches on our rights or encroaches on our time. 
uh, or that, that uh, uh, encroaches on our ability to control our destiny or that threatens our possessions. And our individualistic culture is, is reflected in the fact that for a good many Americans, um, we are hesitant, maybe even absolutely resistant to the idea of developing deep friendships outside of our, our, our nuclear family. Because friendships, if they're deep, they tend to encroach on our time and sometimes on our rights and sometimes on our ability to uh, just have our own say uh, in, in, in terms of what we're going to do, controlling our, our destiny and maybe even uh, somewhat on, on our possessions. And so we're, we're sort of resistant to that. And so not surprisingly, um, our individualistic culture is reflected in the fact that a good percentage of Americans are lonely and feel uh, isolated and disconnected and empty, all right? Now, it's not that everything about our individualistic culture is bad. I'm not saying that. In fact, there's a lot that is good about our individualistic culture. I, for one, am very glad I live in a country that is uh, committed to protecting my individual rights and that allows me to do what I want with my individual time and that allows me to acquire my own possessions, and that allows me to control my own destiny, to do whatever employment I want or whatever. I, I, I wouldn't trade this for, say, living in North Korea, uh, where individual, individuality is suppressed. It's strongly suppressed. And do you ever see those uh, um, news, the, the North Korean army marching? Uh, and and they, they, they do that kind of, I, I don't know how they do that. It's, it's, it's like a, they hop a, a goose step thing. I, it's, they bounce, but they all bounce exactly. They're, it's so uniform, uh, and and their their faces are angled in, in the exact same position, and and they have the exact same expressions. Everything's exact. It bugs me. I wish that one of them would just show a little individuality. Wouldn't it be like a Where's Waldo in the crowd? What if someone just started like started you know just get creative and did a cartwheel and 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 took off their hat and put on a pink hat or something? Uh, that'd be, that he'd probably get put in prison, but. Uh, no, I value individuality, so, so that's a good thing, but for all the good stuff that comes with an individualistic culture, we kingdom people need to know the, the downside of things, uh, and not just think that all of it's just wonderful and Christian and godly. Uh, there's a downside to this, and the, the biggest part of the downside is that this individualistic worldview with this individualistic culture, uh, it, 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 it's diametrically opposed to a fundamental aspect of the kingdom of God. Uh, throughout the New Testament, we find this strong and repeated emphasis on the need and the calling and the value of kingdom people to be immersed in kingdom community. In fact, the New Testament honestly does not have even a concept of an individual believer who is not immersed in a kingdom community. Uh, the understanding is that if you're a follower of Jesus, it, you, you belong to a community of people who are following Jesus. Um, the, the community is called the body of Christ. And the idea of, of living your own little Lone Ranger Christian life apart from a body is, is, makes as much sense in the New Testament as thinking your finger can survive unless it's attached to the hand or your eyes can survive outside of your eye sockets. It's not going to work. And so there's a strong emphasis throughout the New Testament on the need to be in community, to have others around you, uh, to, to not just be doing your own thing. And uh, um, yeah, you're, you're part of the body of Christ. So, in light of that, I want to now go back and look at 1 Corinthians 10 again. In fact, we're going to end up reading this three times. Uh, and uh, let's, let's read it again. No testing has overtaken you. That's not common to everybody. God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond your strength, 
But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Now, the all-important question is, who is the you here? But see, our individualistic orientation is so strong, we probably never ask that question. We just assume that the you is the individual you and me. But we shouldn't assume that, because it might not be. Now, it doesn't help at all that our English language is jacked up, folks. The English language is just, honestly, it is, it's, it's, it's just got, it's like for every rule, there's more exceptions to the rule than there are illustrations of it. I feel so sorry for people who've got to learn English as a second language. I don't know how you guys do it, because I can't learn it. It's my primary language. It's, it's just, it's, I'm not a linguist, but I have had to learn how to read several languages, and every language has got funky stuff. You know, Hebrews goes from right to left, every, every, yeah, they all got funky stuff, but not like the English language. The English language is the funkiest, weirdest, rule-breaking language in the world. And here's one of the things that's really funky about it. We don't have a distinct second personal plural pronoun. Doesn't that bug you? Gal. It, it, it's like we use the word you for, for both. I can say, how are you doing individually? And I use the word you. Or I can say to all of you here, how are you doing? It's the same word. We used to have ye, how are ye doing, but that sounds really weird. And somehow we lost it. I don't know how we lost it, but now we don't have a distinct second person plural pronoun. And it's just, it's just wrong. Now in the South, they were smart enough to invent one. You just take you and you combine it with all. You have y'all. How y'all doing? How y'all doing? Y'all got to move down there to yonder restaurant, get some grits. Y'all, yeah, it makes sense. Can, now you can tell whether they're talking to you personally or talking to the whole group, y'all. Or uh, in some ways even smarter, the Italians, I don't know if they still do this, but Italians in the Bronx and in Chicago, they, they just took the word you instead of a singular, and how do you make a plural out of something? You add an S. So they have yous, yous. Like, yeah, how yous doing today, huh? How yous doing? Yous messing with me, yous want a piece of this, get out of here, yous, you smucks. I'll make an offer you can't refuse. So they got yous, you got y'all. But the trouble is that, is, is, well, that's smart and creative. Um, it's, it's not considered proper English, so it doesn't find its way into any proper Bible translation. It's, it, it's, it's found in the Cotton Patch Bible, if you've ever read that. Uh, but, that but that's about it. So our English language is Jack. So if I say, how are you doing? And you don't know the context, you can't tell if I'm talking to an individual or to a crowd. And the same thing is true when you hear Paul say that God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able, but will make, provide a way for you to escape and endure it. You don't know. But since we have an individualistic orientation, we just assume we do know and think it applies individually. Now, the thing is, is Greek, Greek, like most sane languages, does distinguish between the singular and the plural second person pronoun. You say su if you're referring to an individual, and you say humes if you're referring to a group. And it just so happens that in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, all of the yous are humes. They are plural. Paul's talking to a group here, and that makes a huge, huge difference. Now, to capture the difference, I want to read it, this passage again, but this time I'm going to borrow a little bit from the South, and, and I'll, I'll put you all in to capture the plural of the yous. And, and, and notice the difference that this makes. It says, no testing has overtaken you all that is not common to everyone. 
God is faithful, and he will not let you all to be tested beyond the strength of you all. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you all may be able to endure it. See, the assumption of this passage is that when an individual is being tested, um, in some sense, the whole community is being tested. And the promise of God here is that when this individual who's part of this community is tested, so when this whole community is tested, uh, that God won't allow that testing to go beyond the strength of the whole community. It's you all that are being tested, and you all will overcome it. In other words, the assumption of this passage is that we stand or fall together. Which means this, that, that if, 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 if you're a Lone Ranger Christian and you're not associated with, with a community, uh, and we're with some folks that are aware that you have that temptation and are there to help you go through that temptation, if you're out there on your own, the, the promise of this passage doesn't apply. Uh, the, the promise of this passage is like group insurance. It's the group that gets the protection. And if you're part of the group, you get the protection. But if you're not part of the group, well, then you're outside of the promise of this passage. What this passage is saying, what it's implying at least, is this. That if you're out there on your own, resisting temptation on your own, well, then folks, you're on your own. You're on your own. Uh, but if, if you're undergoing that in relationship to others, that the community that is called to resist temptation, uh, well, now that this promise applies. Because the strength that, that, will, that the testing won't go beyond is the strength, not, not your individual strength, it's the strength of the community. And your strength is found in the strength of community. That's where the power to resist temptation lies. So the, the, the reality is, folks, that God never intended us to have to resist temptation on our own. Uh, in fact, God never intended believers to endure anything on their own. Uh, there's something we find throughout the New Testament is that uh, to follow Jesus is to belong to the community of people who follow Jesus. And to take up your cross means that you're part of the community that takes up the cross. And to rejoice in your salvation means you're part of the community that rejoices in salvation. And to be working to, to walk in your identity in Christ means you're part of the community that's helping one another walk in their identity in Christ. And to resist temptation means you're part of the community that resists temptation. And that's where the power and the promise of God lies. That's where the victory lies. It's, 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 uh, it's safety in numbers. The, the danger is, is, is that if you're on your own, well, you're, you're just vulnerable there. Um, you don't have the power of the community. Think about the last time. Think about the last time that you caved to a temptation. I know I've asked you this twice before in this series, but now it's through it a third time. Uh, what was the last time you caved into a temptation? Think about that. Now ask yourself this question. Do you think you would have fallen for that temptation if you had several kingdom comrades there alongside of you? Or at least on the phone? Uh, would you have fallen for that temptation if you were... Um, if, if you had invited several people in your life to the point where they knew that you struggled in this area... And they cared enough about you to ask you about it now and then. So you knew you would have to answer to that. I, I'm thinking that for a lot of us, for most of us, we wouldn't have fallen for that temptation. Or think about this. Do you think you would have fallen for that temptation if, if you had the additional power of people praying for you that you'd resist that temptation? Because they knew it was there, the power of prayer. See, if you went through this temptation without anyone else on the inside, without anyone else there to encourage you, without anyone else praying for you, um, well then what it means is that the reason you fell in that temptation, and this is probably true for many of our temptations, the reason we fall is precisely because we're doing it alone. 
In fact, that is one of the strategies of the enemy. You, you isolate us. Think about it. Think about it. The, the power of temptation is that no one needs to know. You can do this in private. Your business is your business. No one else's business. And even in succumbing to that, see, we've already lost at least half the battle because we've fallen under the deception of the enemy. We are now in that moment believing in this American individualistic lie that no one has the right to know my business but, my, but me. And that, that uh, I don't need to be inconvenienced by having other people in on my life and, and spending time with them and building relationships with them and all that kind of stuff. We buy into the lie that, that uh, we have the right to be on our own and we have the power to be able to resist on our own and it's a lie. Um, and, and many of the, the biggest temptations in our life, we don't have the power to resist on our own. We buy into this deception and he isolates us and that's when we become vulnerable. The truth is, folks, the truth is that we are made by the relational God, and we're in the image of the relational triune God, which means that we are made for relationships. It's part of our essence. We are only going to be at our best when we have significant, deep relationships with others. And the truth is that we are created for community, and we're saved for community, and we desperately need community. The truth, the biblical truth is that you're going to have a hard time resisting the big temptations in your life. In fact, you're going to have a hard time just maturing in Christ if you're not embodied, embedded in a community. Uh, and doing this with community. And the truth is, folks, that we are at war. You know that? We're at war. And it's a real war. It's as real as any physical war ever fought. It's just not against flesh and blood. And in this war, um, the worst place to be is alone, on a battlefield alone. You're most vulnerable there, alone. The enemy is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And even natural lions out there in the jungle, they look for the, the, the animal that got separated from its herd. That's what it's vulnerable there. In the same way, we are so vulnerable when we're on our own. Uh, we are in war, and we need a platoon. And the platoon needs you. And we're created for this kind of community, and it's in the community that we overcome. It's in the community that we have strength. We are called and equipped and empowered to battle together. To battle together. Now, when I say community, uh, I'm not referring to this weekend event. This is, we are a community, but we're a community, and this is important. Uh, you know, this is where we come, we hear God's word, and, and it convicts us or encourages us or ticks us off or whatever it does, but it's good. And, um, and we worship together, and there's such a power in worshiping together like we, we already experienced this morning. So this is good and important stuff. But we can't, it's not, in a context like this, we can't help each other resist temptation. This isn't the context where we can do that. In fact, in this context, we can't do most of the 57 one-anothers that are commanded in the New Testament. You know, the New Testament says, love one another and encourage one another and admonish one another and confess to one another and strengthen one another and all, all, bear one another's burdens. There's all these one-anothers. This is the Christian life and community. And we can't do most of those here. We can do some. We should show hospitality to one another. And, and sometimes we pray for one another. In fact, we'll be doing that a little bit later. But, um, but most of them we can't. Uh, those kind of activities require a smaller community. In fact, the New Testament, everything the New Testament says about church, uh, church life, presupposes that, that the church community is 10, 20, at the most 30 people. We know that the early church met in, in houses. They didn't have a special building like this. Uh, sometimes they'd meet at Solomon's porch, so there's nothing wrong with large gatherings where they have a citywide gathering. But usually they met in each other's houses, and those houses couldn't hold more than 10, 20, at the most 30 people. So it's a close-knit community. And, and uh, we, we need a smaller group like that, that we're a part of. Whatever the particular number is, we need a smaller group. And the actual number of people that we can invite in to, to the level where we would be 
okay, we feel safe enough to confess stuff, uh, to share our weaknesses, uh, to ask them to help us in in an area, and and to carry this burden and to be praying for us. The number of people that can get to that level is rather few. Uh, It takes a a lot of trust to invite someone that deeply in on your life, to be that honest with them. But we all need some relationships like that. Maybe just one or two, three, maybe the most four. But... uh, uh, we need that because we've all got blind spots, right? We've all got weaknesses. And the enemy would just love to isolate us, and that's how he preys upon us. We all need that. Uh, so we need a community where we do one another's and where we minister together. And we need, in that community, we need some people, a few people, that know the inside stuff, that we live in on the dark stuff. And they do the same, and we walk this out together. Now, I imagine if you're hearing this, whether in the auditorium or listening through podcasts, and you're hearing this for the first time, this might be freaking you out. It's like, no way am I going to let someone like my junk. And I get that, because you're conditioned. This isn't your fault. You were just born in this stream of individualism, and that tends to be our default. We guard our privacy. At least most of us do. There's some people you say, hi, my name is Greg, and they go, hi, hi, and they pour out all their junk. Uh, you don't want that either. But... Um, T-Y-I. But we all, we all need uh, uh, folks in on the inside. So here's the thing. Start with baby steps. Like we, we talked in our course correction series. Uh, I can't expect you to go from zero to 100 in two seconds. So start with baby steps. Uh, a a, a two-inch correction today could result in a two-mile correction two years from now. So think in terms of baby steps. The first thing to do is just to acknowledge on the authority of God's word that you do need uh, close relationships. You do need others. It is not good to, be a, to think of your faith as a you and Jesus thing. It's not a you and Jesus thing. It's, it's a you in community and Jesus thing. And so, so acknowledge that. And maybe just put it on your radar screen uh, to, to be looking for possible kingdom relationships. Ask the Spirit to lead you in this. Um, you know, talk to people out in the gathering area. We want to be hospitable to people. Remember, that, that's, that's such a high value in the kingdom. And welcoming strangers. And if you hit it off with somebody, say, hey, want to go out for some coffee sometime? And, and see where that goes. You can also just think about getting involved in different ways. So you, you meet other people. Here's, here's just a few of the ways you can think about. Um, we have these growth groups. Uh, now, with all of our sermons, we have these growth groups where they talk about the sermon. We have some on Tuesday night and some on Sunday. And, and think about uh, joining one of those. Uh, you get deeper into the sermon than you could otherwise, but you also get to meet other people, and possible kingdom relations can happen out of that. Uh, if, you're, if you're in your 20s and 30s, you might want to check out Resonate, or we also have, uh, after this service, we're going to have a, uh, 20s and 30s are going to have a taco fest of some sort. So if you're 20 or 30, uh, stick around and be part of that. doesn't matter whether you're married or single, come and, and meet other people at your age. If you're 55 and older, we've got that uh, monthly uh, gathering for, for that potluck crowd. Yeah, you have a good time there right here. It's kind of rowdy. Bunch of kids, I'll tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you. You all know what's going on there. Uh, we got cultivate classes uh, on Tuesday nights, some on Sunday. We got some great classes there. Uh, and, and in all those classes, they build in uh, relation time where you talk with other people and stuff like that. Great way to, to meet people. Uh, join one of our ministries. Stop at the info desk and see what ministries are going on. We got a billion of them. And it's a great way to serve, but also a great way to meet other people. Uh, there's also a uh, uh, Life on Purpose class on Monday nights. You can think about joining that. Yep. There you go. See? It's a rowdy crowd, apparently. You think that was loud? Wait, wait, wait for this. And then there's the refuge. The refuge. Yeah, you might want to think about going to the refuge. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Uh, it's, a, it's a great crowd. They, 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 uh, 
You could go as a volunteer or you could go and join one of their support groups. And they got some classes there and it's just a happen thing, great way to meet people. And then we've got a Discover the Kingdom class, which is a 13-week class, followed by a Discover Kingdom community class, which is another 13-week class. And they are intense, but they're beautiful. And then that opens the door for joining Sojourners, if you want, which is our house church ministry. We've got some house churches of 20 to 30 people doing the one another's. So there's, and that's just a few of the ways that we could start to get connected. But the main thing is, is wherever you're at, be going in this direction because it's not good to be out on your own. Uh, to resist, this promise here applies if you're part of the group because it's a group. It's, an, it's a group insurance policy. Join the group. Be connected uh, and, and plugged in. So now here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're just going to give a little taste of this because uh, there's such power when we pray for one another. So we're going to have a time where we go back into the worship, uh, worship set, but we're going to be, uh, while we're doing that, praying for one another. Uh, and it will all be anonymous, and I'm not going to ask you to turn to your neighbor and confess your worst sin. <laughs> That'd be kind of fun, though. Right? Like, but uh, <laughs> right now, spill it out. But uh, uh, so this will be anonymous. What we're, what we're going to do is have you write down on a piece of paper. You notice that there's some paper uh, uh, on your seats when you came in and a pencil. And we're going to ask you to write down something significant that tempts you. Now, someone else is going to read this, and well, they won't know it's you. There's going to be total, total anonymity. Uh, but because of that, make it PG. We don't want to hear the sordid details. All right, PG. But write on that piece of paper, okay? Uh, just do it right now. Whatever it is that's t- t- tempting you. And, um, and think about this for a moment. As you're looking at that temptation, um, Remind yourself that in Christ, you're already victorious over this. If you are a surrendered disciple of Jesus, you're al- the victory's already been won. You just haven't experienced yet. But you're going to. You're going to overcome. And one of the ways that that happens is by having people pray for you. And so that starts today. And so just remind yourself of that as you're looking at that. And try to get a picture of yourself. This is having faith. An image of yourself in your mind where you are now able to overcome that temptation. Just see yourself as having defeated that temptation. Because in truth, it's already defeated. Just envision that. Exercise faith. Faith is about having a vision of what is true, what you anticipate, what you hope for. And then when you've done that, fold that thing up. And you can fold it as tightly as you need to to feel secure that no one's going to be, it's not going to flop open as you hand it down. Fold it up as tight as you need, want to and then hand it to your right. And, and uh, we're going to collect these on the right. So just go ahead and start handing those down once you folded them up. Just like we're taking up an offering again. <laughs> we're now going to take up a sin offering. <laughs> Let's offer our sins up to the Lord, which is actually not a bad idea. And since we are offering them up. <laughs> yeah, right. Rip it apart. Um, and so then here, here's how it's going to happen. So we hand, hand those down to the right. And the ushers are going to collect them. And then these boxes here are actually not for funerals. Uh, we're going to put all these temptations in the boxes. Uh, and the ushers will put them in a box that's apart from the section they collected them in just to make sure that no one's like, thinking, oh, I can narrow it down to this row here. Uh, so it, we want to protect an- an- anonymity. But then when they've done all of that and the stuff is in the box, which will be in about 30 more seconds, I'm going to invite you to come forward uh, and, and go to the box that's nearest you and just randomly pick out one. And then you're going to be praying for that particular person. I'm going to ask you to pray for the first part of this service uh, or this worship set and then hold on to it and pray for them throughout this week. Because um, there is power in praying for others. Even though you don't know who the person is, God knows who they are. 
And so pray for them and, and have faith for them. Envision them, even though you don't know who they are, but a representative image in your mind and see them overcoming in this area, being set free in this area, the chains being broken in that area uh, as you're praying for them. Uh, this is what the community is, 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 is called to do. As we're doing that, as you're praying for this person, um, the worship team will start to be singing about overcoming. And uh, when you're ready, you can stand or you can stay seated. I, I don't care. But join in the song. But as you're doing it, we're saying we shall overcome. But be thinking in particular of this person. That person will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. And, and, and your prayer is helping that to bring about. As we declare truth, as we worship the God of truth, that is itself a form of warfare, and we're fighting for one another. Amen? And so, so uh, uh, hold, that, hold that, that uh, temptation up to the Lord, and, and you're saying, this person will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. So, Father, as we now submit to you in prayer and praying for one another, holding up one another in prayer, uh, I pray, God, that your Spirit infuse these prayers with such power that it can break chains and set people free. You've called us to battle together, and, and, and that is exactly what we're going to do. Be glorified in this time and working in the hearts and minds and lives of, of your people to set them free to walk in your full identity in Christ. Amen. So uh, 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 there's no order here. It's, it's like Black Friday. When you want to go, you just go. And, and so just go to one of the, 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 ta- uh, the boxes, pick out a particular temptation, and uh, um, uh, take it back to your seat and start praying for them and then join in worship. Are, are all the temptations in? Have, have, do we, have we yet had the last temptation? <laughs> right. All right. God be glorified. Amen. Everyone. Everyone. And we do that together. We do that together. Uh, this, the, we're going to do one more song here. And see, here's the thing. that we, we can't do a lot of the one another's here in a context like this, but we can. We can fight for one another. Uh, declaring truth. Praising and celebration is itself a kind of warfare. Amen? Because God inhabits the praises of his people. And that spirit, when it comes down, if we're sold out and surrendered and focused, and we're worshiping God with our hands, and we're doing warfare with our hands, and we're worshiping God with our feet, and doing warfare with our feet, you see, we're not just doing it for ourselves, we're doing it for one another. And that has the power to, to break strongholds, to tear down walls, to set captives free, to heal minds, and to heal bodies, and to heal spirits, praise God. And so we're going to declare war on the enemy right now, okay? And do it with all that's inside of you, all your heart, all your mind, body, and soul. And let God flow through this place and set us free. We battle together in Jesus' name. One, two. I told you, don't fall asleep back there, man. I need you to. Come on. I'm calling on you here. So here's the deal. Uh, if you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, uh, I encourage you to come up after we're done and go by the stairs. There will be some prayer folks who would love to pray for you. Could be about that thing you wrote down there. Could be about uh, something totally unrelated. Doesn't matter. But come up here and get prayer. Uh, and uh, if you're here this morning and you're not a devoted follower of Jesus, I encourage you to consider doing that, all right? Um, come up here and talk to these folks. They'd love to explain to you what's involved in being a follower of Jesus. You can stay if you want, and we're going to dance a little bit longer. But as we leave this place, can we do it with a warfare mindset? You're going out to battle out there, and can we do it 
knowing that we battle together and do it wearing the full armor of God and do it knowing you're filled with the Spirit and do it knowing who you are in Christ. That you are an overcomer because He overcame and you're in Him. That makes you an overcomer. Yeah, amen. That's what I'm talking about. So, in Jesus' name, let's go out and let's do warfare, the warfare of love. Loving all people at all times. Don't be fans and butts. If you're in agreement with that, say amen and go off.